I want to start off uh, by dispelling any preconceived notions that your pastor is any cool at all. Um, back in 2009, I attended um, BotCon, which is a convention for Transformers fans and collectors. And uh, there were, uh, from the picture you can see, there were a lot of families there with, with children. And I went as kind of that uh, weirdo, full-grown man by myself, no kids at the time. And part of the, the reason that, that collectors go is the, in, the big incentive is that, uh, yes, you can meet like, you know, celebrities, like people who voice like the, <laughs> do the voices for uh, the characters. But the big incentive is that attendees can go and they can purchase these limited edition box sets of Transformer figures that are exclusive to the convention. And so uh, the thing about that is you have to wait in these really long lines that kind of snake back and forth, you know, and... Uh, and basically, I was sitting in line for about two hours just to get, I know, just to get toys, right? And uh, occasionally, the convention staff would come by and just kind of move the line along because it, it was a, a very slow process. And I was so thankful that, you know, I wanted to show my appreciation. So uh, one of them uh, came and said, okay, uh, convention attendees keep moving this direction. And I stopped that person and said, I just want to thank you for your hard work and dedication um, and serving us and helping us this, uh, throughout this long evening. And uh, the person just kind of looked at me blankly, didn't stop, didn't respond, and then just continued moving down the line, saying, repeating the same phrase, okay, convention attendees, please keep moving along. And I don't blame the person. I mean, he's doing his job, right? And I think he's there to help us, but not particularly to really care about us. And I think about how often you and I may feel that way sometimes about God. That yes, we know that there's a God in heaven who's moving us in the direction that we're supposed to go. It's probably for our good. But is he kind? Does he actually care about us when he's moving us along? Or are we just another face in the line, in the crowd? I want you to turn in your Bible to Ruth chapter 2 this morning. Ruth chapter 2. We're in this series called redeemed. And we're discovering that God's providence works alongside our faithfulness to bring his redemptive plan into our lives' pain. And that our suffering in this life can be quite great, that our Savior is even greater. <coughs> Excuse me. And so, uh, as he works out everything in our lives, in the end, for his redemptive good, in the everyday details of normal people's lives, as we learn to love, trust, and follow him by faith. And we saw at the beginning of Ruth that there's time, this was a time in God's people in Israel when they had drifted away from the Lord, and as a result, they experienced suffering apart from him in, through a famine. And a man named Elimelech made the tragic decision of moving to the neighboring nation of Moab, a place filled with sexual immorality and idolatry and hostility against God's people. Uh, and he did so in order to escape death save his family, and what happens when he gets there? He dies, and so do his two sons. Leaving his wife Naomi with childless Moabite daughters-in-law and a heart full of bitterness. And then she hears the news that God has shown up in Israel through the invisible hand of providence to reverse the famine and the death that was there. 
And so by faith, she responds and goes back to God and his people and his blessings and brings along with her her daughter-in-law, Ruth, who has also now come to faith as a new believer for about five minutes now, but faithfully seeks God's provision by gleaning. What that was was collecting the leftovers in a field that were allowed for the poor. That was a law that God had baked into Israel because Ruth and Naomi are homeless, poor widows coming back home. And as she gleans and collects these leftovers for the poor people, she finds God's favor through a man named Boaz. But does God actually personally care about them? Is he kind to them personally? Or is it just him accomplishing his overall big picture will in the world? Ruth chapter 2, verse 14. If I can find it. And at mealtime... Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, let her glean, even amongst the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also, also, pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening, and then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. Let's stop right there for a moment. So in verse 14, we remember that Boaz has generously allowed her to come to his field, that he's been very kind to her, and now uh, he's generously providing lunch for all of his field hands. It's it's lunchtime, the the lunch whistle has blown, and he, as a good boss, uh, provides lunch, uh, blesses all of his workers, and he invites Ruth to come and join them, to sit with all the men and to eat. And I want you to understand how outrageous and how kind this is because Ruth is a beggar, not an employee. She's a woman and a widow in a patriarchal Middle Eastern society. She was an outsider from a culture that's considered immoral and idolatrous, not Jewish. And yet Boaz comes to her. He doesn't reject her or insult her or ignore her walking on by her like we do with so many homeless people. He doesn't ignore her. He invites her. He invites her to join his household for a meal. He seats her in a place of honor next to him. And in fact, he, as the big boss, serves her himself, handing food over to her. And I want you to see the contrast here. For those of you who were here uh, the first week, back in chapter 1, verse 21, her mother-in-law, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, says, the Lord has brought me back empty. And here, God reverses their fortunes, and for the first time in probably a long time, Ruth eats, it says, till she is completely full. These penniless widows coming home with nothing, and she's eaten eaten until she's full, and in fact, she's even allowed to pack a takeout box to take home to her mother-in-law. Their fortunes are starting to change the providence of God. And then Ruth, as if that was enough, she's blessed by being welcome at this table of this Jewish man, a tremendous gesture of kindness. And so she's ready to get back to work, uh, gleaning the leftovers. But we see in verse 15 that Boaz, Boaz, he takes aside his male reapers, the men who work for him, and he instructs, instructs them, instead of just letting her gather the little that's left behind us, Because what happens is they glean all the stuff and God instructs them, don't glean all the way to the margins. Anything that falls to the floor, you leave for the poor. Don't just let her pick up the leftovers. Instead, let her come and pick up any grain that drops between the big piles that we have already harvested. And when she does, 
Don't scold her. Don't shame her. Treat her kindly. Verse 16, he goes even further. In fact, I want you to take from those big piles of our stuff, pull some of those stalks out and then from our harvest and leave them on the ground for her to glean. We want to ensure that she has plenty, but without stealing her dignity. And so in verse 17, the sun sets, it's the end of a long day, and the result is that when Ruth empties out her sack, there's an ephah worth of grain. I know you're thinking, ephah? What does that mean? That's about a 40-pound bag of, like, think, about, think of like a Costco-sized bag of rice. It's about 40 pounds. And to give you some context, the daily rations for the average uh, male worker in the ancient near, near East was probably, they would take home about one or two pounds of grain a day. 40 pounds. So last time we talked about how the law requires that Boaz allow the poor to glean the leftovers from his field. But that what Boaz does is he goes beyond the law all the way to grace. He pours an extravagant, unearned gift of favor out on this woman. And so here in this passage, Boaz generously heaps grace on top of grace because God has seen her pain, has seen her need, and is pouring out blessings through the hand of Boaz. And so it's a reminder for you and I that God's providence often meets our needs through unexpected kindness of other people. How do you know that God cares about you in your pain or in your situation? You look at the ways that his invisible hand moves someone to pour out help or encouragement or kindness just at the right time in an ex- extraordinary or extravagant way. It reminds me of Tim Winton, who's one of Australia's most celebrated authors. He's a man who's written over a dozen books, best-selling books. He's won numerous literary prizes. Bless you. But when he was five years old, his father, speaking of Father's Day, was a motorcycle cop, and a drunk driver ran a stop sign, crashed into his dad on his motorcycle, sending him flying into a brick wall. It crushed his, the man's chest, his shoulders, his hips. It shattered his ribs, collapsed his lung. And in fact, emergency workers, they were required to give him a tracheotomy to pierce through his throat so that he could breathe in the middle of the street. The massive concussion that he experienced left him in a coma for weeks. When he did wake, they sent him home, and yet he was completely bedridden, unable to move, unable to shower. His mobility and his life were over as he knew it. Now, his dad was a very big man, so his mother had difficulty taking care of both him and their four kids all at the same time. It was a rough time, and those are one of those moments where you question, does God really care about us? Why does he let things like this happen to us? Now, news got out, not just about uh, this police officer's accident, but also about the struggles of this family, and shortly afterwards, they heard a knock at the door. A man named Len introduced himself. I've heard about your accident. I heard that you've been having a tough time. And this is what uh, Tim Winton says. We had never met this guy before. And he was turning up unannounced, uninvited, offering to give us a hand. He was a stranger, but also a believer from a local Christian church. And so this man, Len, started showing up almost every day for the next few weeks, carrying this stranger, his dad, from his bed, putting him in the tub, 
and bathing him, praying over him. And this generous act of kindness from a Christian changed that family forever as the entire clan gave their lives to Jesus. You know, oftentimes when we're suffering or when we're in pain, when we've lost something, we're so focused on the cruelties of life that we fail to notice the kindness of God. And so I want to ask you, who was that right person who, was, who came at the right time, who gave you the right words or the right gift or had the right actions and just the right presence, what you really needed to lift you up in the middle of your storm? It's no coincidence. That's providence. That's the kindness of God. You see, there's a God in heaven who knows you. He knows your needs. He cares for you. He has not given up on you, so don't you give up on him either. Now, maybe you're not in a season of suffering, but you're on the other side of the fence. Perhaps like Boaz, you're in a position of plenty, of generosity. And I want you to consider that there are people that God has placed in your path on purpose. And I wonder who is hurting or hungry that God is nudging you to welcome to your table. Too often, we live by the standards of the society around us. We're guarding our assets and guarding our time because it's mine instead of God's. And we're afraid that there won't be enough for myself or my family. And the economy of fear is scarcity. But the economy of faith is that God's grace and abundance and generosity and kindness flow into our lives. And so it needs to overflow onto other people. Because our God is a generous God. Now I know, I know for a fact that every single person in this room, whether you recognize it or not, has experienced God's kindness at some point. But a lot of times we may look at, well, here's something bad that happened in my life. Okay, God did something nice for me. But what we want to see is that God's kindness isn't just an afterthought to make us feel better in our brokenness. That it is a forethought that God has purpose when he acts kindly towards us, that he's moving us towards something even better. Look at verse 18. And she, Ruth, took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw, saw what, was, what she had gleaned, and she also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? Where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. And Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. Let's stop right there for a moment. So verse 18, when Ruth returns home, her mother-in-law has been, you know, she's elderly. She's sitting at home in their, their little apartment waiting all day, worried about Ruth. And so she returns and Naomi's in shock because she's brought home about a month's word worth of food for them, along with a story about a stranger who has welcomed a Moabite outsider widow to join him for a meal and then sent her home with takeout from the mother-in-law. You want to get married? If you, for those of you who are young men and you're first getting, introducing to a woman and you want the parent's blessing, send home some, some <laughs> a dessert. When you take out your, go out, take your, take your girlfriend or fiancé out for a date, send home a dessert to, to give to your mother-in-law. 
It's a good way to her heart. And so in verse 19, Naomi's kind of like, what happened? Did you knock over a bank? Why? Where did you get all this stuff? May God bless whoever has looked on you with such favor. And then Ruth says to her, some kind dude named Boaz. (laughs) In verse 20, Naomi is stunned. She blurts out this prayer. May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. There's that word that we've been talking about, the word hesed. That says kindness in your translation. It means loving kindness. It is a picture of the loyal love of God. Now, in this verse, it's actually grammatically unclear. Whose kindness is this? Boaz or God? Because Boaz is the immediate source of blessing, right? But we see that Naomi shares a key piece of information that you and I already know from the beginning of chapter 2 last week. It just so happens that Boaz is this distant relative of her dead husband, Elimelech, but close enough to their family that he qualifies as what's called a kinsman redeemer. It doesn't just says redeemer in the ESV. If you don't know what that is, Leviticus chapter 25, God provides that a, a law that if you're a person who's in debt or in danger, in need or enslaved, that your closest male kin could deliver you from servitude or poverty by paying a legal redemption price in order to set you free, to buy back your life, to restore your family property, to adopt you into their family if you're a woman through leveret marriage in Deuteronomy 25. And so I want you to remember, this mother-in-law, Naomi, she has suffered tremendous loss in both famine and food, right? But, and also in family, the loss of her husband and her sons. And so when she declares something about kindness that has not forsaken the living or the dead, she's not only talking about the provision of food, but also possibly the provision of family, the living and the dead, honoring her dead husband and her dead sons, that there might possibly be a continuation of their family line that she thought ended with their deaths and no children. You see, the wheels are turning in Naomi's head that this is the kindness of God. This is possibly the answer to her prayers way back in chapter 1, verse 8 and 9, when she prayed, God, deal kindly, there's that same word again, with Ruth, provide her a husband. Ruth chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. And so what she's doing here is she prayed for kindness for Ruth. She prayed for God to give her a husband someday. And she's tracing the outline of the invisible hand of God beginning to shape their circumstances to redeem their dire situation. That God has not forgotten all that they suffered and all that they lost. That he has provided food and perhaps he's going to provide a family. And so what I want you to see in this passage is that God's kindness to you is not just him, his commiseration or a consolation prize. Oh, so sorry for your trouble. Let me comfort you a little bit. The big idea of this morning's passage is that God surprises us with his providence and his kindness to redeem and reverse our pain. That there is purpose at work behind the scenes as God is transforming something terrible into something beautiful. And so I want you to consider, when you and I, when you're stuck on the highway of devastation and despair, and you come to a crossroad where you encounter the kindness of God, it's not just a rest stop for your troubles. 
It is an exit ramp for you to pursue a new purpose, a new path leading to redemption, where God is working everything out for your good and for his glory. Now, I know many of you probably believe that to some degree. But when you're in the midst of suffering and pain, what do you do if you can't yet see any light at the end of the tunnel? Verse 21. And Ruth, the Moabite, said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close to my young men until they have finished all of my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Let's stop right there. So in verse 21, despite the reminder, starting from this verse, did you see the author reminds us once again, Ruth the Moabite. It's a reminder that Ruth is a Moabite and an outsider, but despite that, that Boaz, this godly man of wealth and wisdom, pours out grace on her. He says, come back and continue gleaning my field with the male workers for the rest of the harvest season. That's from April all the way through mid-June. In other words, I want you to catch this. This is not just a one-time blessing that you get to come. Okay, I'll take pity on you. You come and work my field for a day. He's inviting her to come back and receive work, to receive food to eat, to receive protection and safety. Because you remember he, he charged the young men of his field, do not harm her, with, earlier in the chapter. And he's providing for her, not just for a day, but for the next three months. And so in verse 22, Naomi says, yes, definitely go back. It's clear that this is a man worthy of our trust, that he has your best interests at heart. Yes. But he, she also asks, but just stick with, with the, the girls, the ladies that work for uh, Boaz, the ones that are gathering all, up all the harvest that the men are reaping. And so that you don't wander off because A, she, uh, Naomi says, it's to protect you from the harassment and harm of men of other fields who may not be under Boaz's employment and, and don't uh, only see her as an outsider or a, a lone vulnerable woman to take advantage of. And B, I'm going to propose to you that Naomi says this to protect her also, not just from the men outside of Boaz's field, but from the advances and interests of any of Boaz's field hands instead of Boaz. She, I think that she really wants to protect her from any other men's interests because she really wants Boaz to be her redeemer. And we'll see this, uh, you'll see this proved true later in chapter 3, verse 10. Now, the end of this passage closes on a weird note. Verse 23, Ruth is faithful. She does exactly as Boaz instructs, exactly as Naomi, her mother-in-law, instructs. And then it says, the harvest just comes to an end, and there's silence. Ruth is still single and living with her mother-in-law. So despite being around Boaz and his business all day, every day for three months, this man doesn't make any move. There's no visitation or invitation to a second date. There's no hint of his attention or intentions towards her. And so I want you to think about what's going, what could go on in the minds of these two women, Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi. Ruth is this foreign widow on welfare from a blacklisted country, and it would be so easy for her to conclude, well, I guess he's just lost interest. Or maybe she, he was just taking pity on a, on a poor immigrant. Or, you know, maybe he just felt sorry for me. Or maybe he's just a nice guy. 
And then for her Jewish mother-in-law, an elderly widow who's been so traumatized by poverty and pain, remember that her name means sweet, and when she comes back home, please call me bitter. That's my new name. It would be easy for her to think. Well, it seemed like God was showing up and, and showing kindness through Boaz, opening a door to redeem my family, but I guess I was wrong. It seems that Boaz and the Lord have both forgotten us. I wonder how many times in the midst of our painful seasons, when it feels like there's silence, that we think we're forgotten. But instead, we see with Ruth this quiet trust in the Lord. She's persistent. She's proactive. And we'll see that fully expressed in chapter 3, both her and Naomi. Why does Ruth remain faithful instead of fearful about the future? Why does Naomi, why is she serene instead of cynical since she wants to label herself a bitter old hag? Because their faith is not in Boaz. It's not Boaz who is their provider. Their faith is in God, a God who has been persistently pouring out kindness through Boaz that they have an overabundance of grain. They've been, Ruth has been working and gleaning for three months, and so she has this overabundance of grain to literally give her their daily bread for an entire year. That's how, how much grain they've, they've been able to save up. And so the lesson here is that Naomi and Ruth, they're able to remain joyful and hopeful instead of cynical because God's ongoing kindness today is the evidence to encourage them and sustain us as we await ultimate redemption tomorrow. So when you're feeling hurt or hopeless, look at all the ways that God is consistently and continuing to show kindness to you because it'll give you the confidence as you await his purposes and his promises. It reminds me of uh, this couple named John and Denise Knight. They were happily anticipating the birth of their first child, a son. They had already decided on his name, that he would be called Paul, like Paul in the Bible. Unfortunately, when he was born, there was a problem. He was born without eyes. And in fact, they discovered that there were other serious issues, including severe autism, a growth hormone deficiency, and other things. And then two months afterward, as John was looking at his son, hooked up to many tubes and sensors and surrounded by doctors, he quietly told God, you are strong, that's true, and you are also wicked and mean. What did this boy ever do to you? Shortly after this prayer, John and Denise quit going to church, and then they quit on God. But a couple from their church refused to give up on them. Carl and Geraldine, they, they never pressured them about spiritual issues. Instead, they would often stop by, leaving simple gifts of kindness. Fresh loaves of bread, baskets of soap and shampoo. And eventually, John and Denise accepted a dinner invitation from that, their family. But as they were sitting down, John told Carl, you know what, you can believe whatever you want, I don't care. But I have evidence that God is very cruel. And all that Carl said softly back to him was, I love you. I know you're hurting. And I love your boy. 
And it wasn't just John and Jerry. Their four children also displayed unconditional love for this little boy, Paul, with no eyes. They'd pick him up and throw him in the air and make him laugh when most people couldn't make him laugh or even stand to look at him at times. And so in John's words, he has this extraordinary expression of love and affection at a dinner table from these two parents. And then he would turn to his left and he could see that at least one of their children would play with my son and treat him as if he was a real boy. And because of this family's quiet and persistent kindness, John and Denise finally decided to give church a try and eventually return to the Lord. And when they did, Carl and Jerry were still there by their side, watching over their son, Paul, even when he was in the nursery. And John would later say, they persisted. That was a big deal to us, that they persisted with us. And he knows that by faith, his son may stand before Jesus someday, fully redeemed from sin and death, and fully restored in sight and in body. But there are hard days when it is really hard to look at Paul, when it's hard to take care of him and all of his medical needs. And yet, when they start to doubt God's care for them, they remember that he's provided persistent people in their pain to be the ongoing evidence that there is a God in heaven who is kind to them, who cares about them, and that encourages them and sustains them in the waiting as they await full redemption for themselves and their son. So I wonder this morning what situation or suffering has cast a shadow over your heart. Made you possibly doubt whether God really notices you or cares about you. And I wonder if you were to really look that you might discover that God surprises us with his providential kindness to show us how he can, how he will, how he is redeeming and reversing the course of our pain and our loss and our lives. That the historical account of Ruth and redemption is an echo of the big story of the Bible that's ultimately proved through Jesus. That the kindness of God is not the sending of his son into a fallen and broken world just to feed you for one day, just to heal you for a lifetime, just to teach you some good morals. But the sending of the Son of God is a declaration of kindness that all of us are trapped by suffering, sin, and death, and we cannot pay. But God says, I am your closest kin. I will redeem. I will pay the price through his death at a cross to break every chain to restore what was lost, to redeem our suffering, that the point of God's kindness isn't just consolation, but redemption. And so this morning, may you discover God's providence meets your needs through the unexpected kindness of other people. And may the persistence of God's ongoing kindness give you confidence in his promises to come, a God who restores and redeems. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would do business with our hearts this morning as we come before you. We confess that all of us, to one degree or another, have known pain or suffering or loss. 
And for the most part, we believe that you are the real God, that you have the power to change our situation. And yet, during those painful moments, even when we think you might help, we're not sure if you would or if you care. We ask that you would take your word, plant it in our hearts this morning. May the historical account of Ruth and Naomi change how we see you, change how we experience you. We ask that you would open our eyes to see your kindness. May we receive it. May it comfort us. May it propel us forward when we can't take another step. May it give us confidence that you are moving and changing our situations, that you will bring about ultimately your good, that in your providence, you're weaving even the most painful circumstances of our lives together into an unseen, beautiful tapestry. And we know that it will be made beautiful in the fullness of time when our Savior returns. So we give praise to you. We ask that you would help us to simply rest in your kindness this morning. In the name of Jesus.